little Dirk Bentley for you this morning. Tomorrow, you can head down to Bud Stage and see him live. We got one more ticket giveaway before the end of the show, so stay tuned. We gave the code word out last break. We've run through the whole catalog. <laughs> Every song that Dirk Bentley has ever sung, we have tried to help you get tickets. So one more day of that. Um, for a little Wednesday, or a little Wednesday action, we won't have it, but Thursday is when the Bud Stage concert is. I think I said tomorrow. June 1st. Yeah, June 1st. June 1st. June 1st. All right. 31 days in May. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, we got Blake Murphy in studio this morning, host of Jay's Talk Plus. Uh, new time, of course. He's here at 11 every morning. 10. 10 every morning. Yes, I forgot the JD's 9 to 10. See, uh, that's, you're already on the ball. because you did Bunkus yesterday yes, in the 11 a.m. hour. Because We're all Bunkus sharing. had to hop on with me yes, in an emergency situation. Here. The old yeah. fan morning show was all together yesterday. Uh, so appreciate you coming in this morning. Spoiling succession for everyone. That's, uh, we did go. talk some succession this morning, but just give me a thumbs I'm, up or I'm thumbs caught down. Up. I'm okay. good. Did you I'm like good. it? Yeah, I'm still sitting with some of it, but the, the big notes I, I appreciated. Hit? Yeah. All right. You got the baseball reference in there? Yes. Okay. That's the, what we talked about. That's what we the, did today. Unassisted we said triple play thing? Yes. 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 I would argue that it was very assisted. That triple play that yes. actually played out, but that is true. It Will was you quite bring that assisted. up on Jay's Talk Plus later? Uh, no, because I'm terrified of... One time, Ennis and I had Adnan Burke on, and we were like, it was a Monday, and Adnan oh, gets yeah. so excited about TV and movies, and we tried to set it up as like spoiler-free as possible and like beg to not have it spoiled, yeah. and then people got so mad that mm-hmm. the conversation I was, spoiled things. I was bracing for anger this morning, but we did it at si- no. like 6 And I said the word spoiler alert. A million times. A dozen times. Yeah. So if I, th- you, you I think it. you get a day. And then if, if you haven't watched, like if you didn't fit it in on a Monday, it's like it's a non-Jays day if you're a big Toronto sports mm-hmm. fan or something. Like I know life gets in the way, but at a certain point you are, you know, you accept those risks. That All right. is true. Blake Murphy of Jays Talk Plus, 10 a.m. every day till noon um, with the summer adjustment. How are you liking them? It's good so far. Um yeah, I mean, the being done at noon on the days that I don't have Jay's stuff at, nice. at night is nice. Uh, it's a little weird to adjust to, like, uh, on a Jay's game day, especially if I'm doing radio mm-hmm. or TV, then I've got, like, this, like, 12 to, I don't know, 5-ish gap, but... You find things to do. We got charts to read. We got a gym here. I went to the dentist yesterday. (laughs) I feel like a human. Killing free time. Yeah, the sun's out. I feel like a human again. Is there any angst... As it pertains to a two-hour radio show on the Blue Jays, given where the mm. Blue Jays are at. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. Two hours is a lot, especially solo, like when things are negative, negative. Mm-hmm. Um, so yesterday, for example, um, with it being the holiday in the U.S., we, we lost the guest at the last minute. So J.D. comes on and then I fired up the text line to, mm-hmm. you know, to do a, a segment on that. And it's all negative. And like, it, it, that's fine. Like people are like the team's not playing well. Obviously, fans can be negative, but it is like. It is a little bit to go through negative question, negative question, negative question, but it's fine. It, and it's I, May. It is. And so this week, like to, uh, yesterday was, would have been last year, the first Jays Talk Plus of 2022. Hmm. Um, it, the way Happy the timing birthday. worked out with the, uh, <laughs> with the late NHL <laughs> playoff start last year, the way the timing worked out. Um, so it's one year ago. And we were, I went and looked back at my notes from that first week. All the conversations are the same. They can't hit with runners in scoring position. Vlad is beating hmm. the ball into the ground. The only thing different hmm. is like Manoa is in the burrito spot. Oh, wow. Time That's, is a, a yeah, circle. circle. Flat yeah. circle. Yeah. Um, all right, let's start with Blue Jays. Then we'll get to Raptors and basketball with you. Um, oh, yeah, a little Nick Nurse. Yeah, we get, we get the, the whole, we get to run every sport down with you. Maybe we'll ask you about the GM search for the Maple Leafs too. Um, sure. So I, I think it's interesting because you have a, a very level-headed perspective, I think, and an analytical approach to things. So if, if, t- if people are texting in negative things about the Blue Jays, where are 
something that you can, like, what are fans clamoring on about that doesn't meet the eye test, right? Because it's, I mean, I'm a fan, but I'm not a numbers person, right? Maybe I'm like, oh, Manoa this or John Schneider this. Where can you see a discrepancy when you get into the nerd brain? So I think the biggest one is all of the, like, little mistakes they've made. Absolutely, the base running stuff has driven me nuts, right? Like, mm-hmm. Kevin Biggio pinch runs and gets double off at second base. Or Whit Merrifield beats out a plate of first and then immediately gets picked off. The other day, I think it was Saturday, they had two runners from third base go on contact on soft ground balls mm-hmm. to third and get thrown out. Like, those are, you are handing away really good opportunities there. Numbers-wise on the whole season, they're actually like a top-five base running team, which is something that I'm still not like... What? I've been entirely... They're so good. Is like, everybody the, else bad? Other people <laughs> yeah. are bad. Um, and also, like, the Varsho, Kiermaier, Merrifield types who take the extra base every mm-hmm. single... Like, Dalton Varsho scored from first on a single mm-hmm. on Sunday. Like, that's the kind of stuff that... I don't know. I, I think with the, the base running mistakes and stuff, my takeaway from it is that... Every team must do a lot of that stuff, and it's just, like, so obvious and hurtful when it's your team. Um, And then defensively, I know there have been, like, there was the game Vlad dropped two balls at first base or whatever, and I know Bo had a couple of throwing errors early in the season. But, like, on the whole, the Jays are, like, lapping the entire league in every defense metric. Like, they are way better. Like, Varsho, Kiermaier, Springer as an outfield is, like, statistically projecting to be, like, the best outfield we've ever measured. Um, Now, that only goes back so far with, like, StatCast data and stuff, but defensively, this team has been unbelievable. So it's it's been a little incongruent. And, and like, I, this is not just a fan thing. I start every show with, like, what happened to doing the little things right? Like, this was supposed to be the whole point. And then numbers-wise, they've, they've been pretty good as a defensive and base running team, which is, like, I don't know, something I, I want to dig more in on the numbers. But it is it doesn't meet the eye test for yeah, sure. There's definitely sometimes. a discrepancy there, right? Yeah. And maybe that's, like, part of the process, too. Because not that they, you know, looked at... Oh, they definitely looked at numbers. And they did their scouting both with the eye test and beyond that with a guy like Dalton Varsho. But everything does still check out. And still it's not translating to the field or yeah. there's moments where it's like, yeah, this isn't what we signed up for. So is that part of the issue there? Is it like, it, it, is it too formulaic in a way? Because there is, and not to say there's short-sightedness, but it was too simplistic, it seemed, uh, even from the beginning, to be like, okay, Dalton Varsho, he <laughs> solves all of our problems. Let's put him into the lineup. Yeah, so I think there there are two probably issues. One is that is, is what you're saying is that it's not everything doesn't like just snap into place nicely and suddenly things are fixed. Um, there's also an element where some of that good, at least defensively, like you don't really notice as much if Kevin Kiermaier cuts off a ball in the gap really well. And that lap potential double becomes a, a loud single, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, that stuff is hard to capture. And then you look at someone like Jose Barrios, who's having a big turnaround or Kikuchi when he was pitching better, Gosman is still getting babbipped a little bit, but it's down and it's like, okay, well, when all your rotation guys except Manoa are pitching well, like maybe there is a defensive component to that. So it's just like a little hard to snapshot. The other thing though, is that like to be simplistic, uh, some of the like the messaging around their offseason was like, okay, well, we're gonna get rid of some of the boomer bust power nature, and we're gonna find we're gonna be able to win games differently. And I think that the absence of power has just been so dramatic that it, it I think those trade offs can feel extra big and like obviously a nice defensive play to turn a triple into a double or like. I don't know, you stop a ball deep at second base and it becomes an out instead of a soft single. Like that stuff does not nearly mentally like catalog as well as, well, they're not hitting home, like they're bottom 10 in home runs and top five in home runs allowed. And like that is, 
a big and obvious thing. And um, I don't know. So I think part of it is also just the messaging around what the off season was. And well, it was like fundamentals, fundamentals, serious baseball, yeah. and no like, home run jacket. And Teo hasn't been no home runs. Teoscar <laughs> hasn't true. been very good, mm. but like, or does Gurriel Jr. Would be the so best good. hitter on this team other than Bo Bichette? And like, that's, that's random. But like, I do think the fact that, Nobody is hitting for power other than Bo, really. And no one, I mean, Bo's been their best player by a long shot, but like Vlad's not really hitting for power. Springer hasn't had, you know, he's coming around now, but I think that absence of that is tough to work through mentally, like when you're watching. So, vice versa of things that don't meet that eye test, you'd say that offensively, the frustrations that fans are having and the lack of power is is certainly underlined with stats that that show that this is something we can be frustrated about. Yeah, I think the the one thing where it's awkward is with runners in scoring position where I get it. It's 54 games in. It's a third of the season. But when like baseball is so noisy that when we chop that into smaller samples and say just with runners in scoring position, um, like the Jays come out as about average with runners in scoring position. They need to be better than that, obviously. Um, but it's one where like even last year, this at this point in time, they were the worst team in the league with hitting with runners in scoring position. And then they were the best team in baseball from June onward. And like nothing changed process wise. Mm-hmm. It was just like stuff happens. Um, I will say though, so runners in scoring position stuff side this team is like like I am less confident in their overall approach than I was at this time last year like last year I thought there was a ton of room for optimism that things would turn around and things would start to come the offense so far this year has actually been better than this point last year marginally Um, but you look at things like um, who, well, first of all, who the pieces are, the fact that you are a little bit more lefty heavy and that is materializing so far in you can't hit left-handed pitching mm. as a team. It's it's just not working out for you. Um, obviously, Varsho has underperformed at the plate. Springer's only now getting back to where we, where we thought. But the big one is, and this makes sense because he's the superstar and fans look at him the most, is like Vlad is not playing well at all right now. His only home run since May 4th is off a position player. Yep. His ground ball rate started out the season. It was like, oh, he's lifting the ball more, way more line drives. It's gone the other direction. Um, since he missed those couple games with a knee injury, his OPS is like 500 and his ground ball rate is up around like, I think, 55%. Mm-hmm. On top of which, like his approach at the plate is just not good right now. Um, career low walk rate right now. We're going to do, uh, I have Chris Black on today and he's got, I don't know if you guys say he posted his big Vlad yes. oh, yeah. Twitter thread this morning and we'll go through all that. And I think like when the guy that fans look at as the best player on the team in the face of the franchise is going through struggles. Like obviously he's still a good hitter, but like by the standards we're measuring Vlad against it's bad. And the process isn't good. It's easy to assign that to the rest of the team as well, because you, you know, the snake goes where the head goes. Yeah. And you know, the head being John Schneider, uh, he's drawing the ire of a lot of blue Jays fans right now. And I guess it's maybe it's because of the messaging, It's right? Yeah. We're going to play clean baseball. We're going to be different. This is going to be a different team and it's not necessarily showing that, or at least immediately evident, but I'm not sure how much of the blame uh, he, he should cat like he should draw here because I look at management. I look at how thin this team is. I look at how kind of hopeful some of the decision-making was. I see holes all across the roster and it's like, uh, how, what could John Schneider do? Cause he can't make that play for you in the field. He can preach fundamentals. He can work on fundamentals. You can drill fundamentals, but ultimately you got to make the plays out there. So I'm trying, I, I'm trying to see it the same way others have, but I can't really point the finger too hard at John Schneider right now. And realistically, they're not going to change the manager less than a year after they yeah. fired the last manager. And, and it's like, not like they miscast this person to like this and I extreme know degree. People right? point at Don Mattingly and they're like, ooh, a guy I know. 
because he's on the bench. He's got a big name. Yeah, he was a mm-hmm. really bad manager when he got the opportunities in mm-hmm. L.A. and Miami as well. And, like, the funniest thing is, like, people melting down about the Manoa second mound visit. And, like, you search it on Google or YouTube, and the first result that comes up is Don Mattingly doing the same thing. Oh, um, there you go. Uh, anyway, so I, I don't think Schneider has been great. I think there are some, you know, maybe warning signs, like um, – you know, I don't know Matt Chapman personally, but I read something into his tone when he got asked mm. about the players only meeting and was basically like, how do you guys know about That's that right. already? And it was John Schneider that had said it. And, mm. um, you know, there have been some curious decisions, of course, uh, pinch hitting Ernie Clement for Dalton Varsho, even in a, even as a lefty lefty spot, Ernie Clement has like a 520 career OPS yeah. and hasn't even hit at the minor league level. Um, you know, some bullpen stuff here and there. Like I thought it was, a little odd the other night. You've got lefty lefty at the top of the uh, the the order, and you go to Eric Swanson. You, like you take Richards out, who's your guy against lefties. Take him out for Swanson and not Mesa. Mesa sits there and doesn't do anyway. All these little things that like if you watch 162 baseball games, every fan base is going to have stuff they can quibble with with the manager. But Justin, your larger point, I'm with you. Like what what is wrong with this team is not something that John Schneider is controlling. Like he's not telling Vlad to swing at more pitches outside yeah, of the zone to completely he, lose your process. And he's not telling Alec yeah. Manoa to walk consecutive guys on four pitches. Is there another coach that might be at fault then if it's pitching or I hitting? Mean, I, I think the pitching has like mostly been fine. Like Manoa is obviously going through it yeah. right now in a way that We've is seen going two to key bounce backs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, that's the thing is like, if you want to point to say Pete Walker or whatever and be like, this is the issue. Well, Jose Brios is having the season that we expect him to have, yeah. right? Like ZRA is down to like 3.8 something at this point. Um, and, you know, some, several key relief, like Nate Pearson has come up and been what they hoped. Eric Swanson, with the exception of that like three game blip where he had just been so overused, has been really good. So mm. I, I don't know how much I'd point at that. I know people like to point to Guillermo Martinez, the hitting coach, because he's been here a while. Mm. Um, but also like these, the way they prep is like they have a hitting coach and a hitting strategist and a pitching coach and a pitching strategist and a bullpen mm. coach who maybe does your side sessions with you like to start pulling at threads of who to blame for what specific thing on a coaching staff that has like 20 guys on it <laughs> is uh it gets a little tough also i'm just like i'm not a big believer in general of in-season coaching changes unless it's like like last year it hit a point where like okay you got to change something um you've got to shake this up but in general you drop a new coach and say it's a hitting coach and to like, you need spring training. You need the off season to work with guys. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. that guy is going to come in and just be like, Justin, have you thought about not swinging at balls oh, wow. and waiting for the ball <laughs> yeah. to come over the heart I mean, of the plate we, we and see- then driving it for power <laughs> instead of hitting it on the ground? Maybe I'm too loyal to a listener of uh, Blair and Barker, but it seems like, yeah, like sweat, slight, slight swing adjustments can have a massive impact and maybe a fresh set of eyes could key in certain players. For sure. I just don't like, think especially that, yeah. pitching like you have to if you have to really rework something that's re- repeatable and done a hundred yeah. times in a good outing. Like that just seems over overly simplistic. And a lot of like the strategy stuff, like the hitting strategist or the pitching strategist, I'm imagining that's coming. Maybe it's collaborative, but it's probably at least to some degree top down from like the front office of the analytics department of like, this is what we're seeing. This is what we want guys working on. So, I mean, I'm not against if things continue this way, I'm not against making changes to shake things up and give a new look and fresh set of eyes and stuff. But I don't think one of those changes is going to turn around what's going, what's, been ailing them so far my biggest concern with this team right now is how thin they are 
beyond the major league roster. You don't like, want to see Ernie Clements dude, out there every day? Like, and, it, and it hurts you in so many wow. ways, right? Like, if there's an injury, there's no one to step up. If you want to add something through the trade market, like, I don't know who's trading anything to the Toronto Blue Jays based Manoa on what down? they have. You can't do it. Yeah, you you don't do have it. a six. Star, you don't have a six starter. I just, and I, I just can't imagine a team that not so long ago re, not rebuilt but retooled. Mm. How they've been left with so little in the cupboard. Like who's who's to blame for that? I think part of it is is they retooled or rebuilt, but they pivoted off of that pretty quick because Vlad and Bo, and then as a second wave Manoa were ready. I mean, Vlad, everyone always expected quick to the majors, but those guys became really good, really young. And I, I do wonder if there's an element of, well, we planned to rebuild and retool for a couple more years than we did. And then by 2020, you know, it was time to push pieces in. I also think some of this is just like, I mean, they have pulled from that minor league depth a lot over the last couple of years, right? And like, no, none of those guys have really bit them in a big way. Like Simeon Woods Richardson is cool, but like Austin Martin still hasn't even played this year. And he's going to be like, about a, him. he's going to be like a light hitting middle infielder. It <laughs> yeah. looks like, like, and this they is made like, the right call there. <laughs> go, you can even go back to 2015. Like I saw Jeff Hoffman's back in the league. Now the, the main piece of the Tulo trade that everyone was mad. They, These like, are names that you can hear on Jay's talk plus, <laughs> but like it, it is, it is to highlight that like trading away minor league guys doesn't really backfire <laughs> all that often. Like the Gabriel Moreno one looks like it's right. probably going to backfire gonna talk yeah. about that a little bit. But, um, Anyway, the I, I don't really know how it happens. Like, especially the all last year, you had no AAA starting depth, so you were going to the Casey Lawrences of the world when you needed a, uh, a spot starter, and like that was part of why they got Mitch White. I think was like to be that kind of guy. But even if he were healthy, he's out of options, and then so he'd be swinging back and forth from the bullpen to the starting rotation. I think they've just maybe done a poor guy, a poor job identifying those guys. Like they've, you know, they gave Thomas Hatch a million chances in the minors as a starter, and have only now been like, okay, dude, you're you're a reliever. Like let's figure that out. They went out and got Zach Thompson, who was supposed to be exactly this guy for org dev. He has like an ERA of like seven mm. at AAA, and it's like I get it. The cutter is, you know, if he figures the cutter out, it's gonna saw off bats. And and stuff. It was okay. If he doesn't figure the cutter out, it's a mediocre fastball over the heart of the plate that even triple a hitters can smash on. Um, and, and then I think part of it too, is like this front office has through the draft been okay with pitchers on a longer timeline. They seem to like hitters that are quick to the high levels of the minor. So a lot of Austin Martin types, um, Josh Kasevich was the guy last year who like, okay, maybe the upside is limited. Maybe the absolute upside is like a Biggio piece who's like your 10th guy and can play a bunch of positions and decent approach and stuff like that. But those guys move through the minors quick and then are trade chips. They've seemed to value that on the hitter side. The pitcher side, they seem to be more patient and they've taken guys that are going to be a little bit away. Like their first round pick last year, Brandon Barriera is only like a couple starts in at low A ball this year. Like they're going to be mm -hmm. patient with that. They were going to be patient with Tiedemann before the the injury, unless they had an absolute um, necessity in the major league rotation. They're being kind of slow with Sam Robersa, who could probably be pitching at AAA right now. I think they just have a patient approach on the pitching side and it hasn't caught up yet, um, mm -hmm. which is really unfortunate because the Manoa to AAA thing, like there's nobody. Yeah. There's nobody like, and even the guys that you could talk yourself into aren't on the 40 man. So then you'd have to lose someone as well or kick someone to the 60 day. aisle. like Bowden Francis on merit is probably the most ready guy down there. And he's like, you could maybe pencil him in for three innings, but he's not on the 40 man roster. So then you got to DFA someone. And like, like it's honestly, if, if they, if they were like Wednesday, they were like, yeah, Manoa, bad bullpen in between starts. We don't want to start. Him. We're going to give him a breakthrough. Like it's Zach Thompson with a seven ERA at AAA is the next guy up probably.
Is this connected to like relative inaction once Atkins and Shapiro got here and they didn't turn over the roster really, really quickly? Maybe. Or is that too simplistic? I mean, it's not simplistic. Like, it, it is a thing. Like, they waited too long on Donaldson, and then Julian Merriweather was the return, right? And now yeah. he's got a ERA of five plus uh, <laughs> wherever he is these days. Um, like, there is an element to that. Also, you know, part of what they would tell you is that one of the reasons they didn't love taking over a team that Anthopolis had traded in a lot of chips for is, like, those are chips that you could, even if none of those guys became major leaguers, and a couple of them did, but, like, you really stress them like Kendall Graveman is a good reliever. Jeff Hoffman might be a really like you don't care about that yeah. stuff. But those are chips you could have used for something else or to maintain depth. And um, so I, I don't really think like I think they, they took over in what, 2017. That's long enough now that like six years yeah. is enough time that your first two drafts, mm-hmm. those guys should be like getting close to major league ready at this time. Generally, you know, in baseball, we use like a five year window for getting your draft picks to the majors because if you're not in the if you're not on the 40 man after five years you become rule five eligible so that's when like other teams could pluck you guys so as a rough gauge five years is like how long you need to you know get those guys there so i don't i think some of it is they've traded pieces away and some of it is they just haven't done very well on the pitcher side unfortunately we're talking to blake murphy host of jay's talk plus from 10 to noon every day now with our new summer lineup okay let's go to something positive Bo Bichette oh. is mvp candidacy at least with this team the way that he's come out and and held i guess the the seams together at times uh where are you at with Bo and what's changed yeah he's been incredible i i think he's like arguably one of the best players in baseball so far this year um you know the hit tool was obviously always there he led the league in hits each of the last two years you know most multi-hit games since 2021 most hits total since 2021 like there's all that stuff it's really great um what i have found is he was been an interesting guy to track because for a while he was a guy who did what he did well so incredibly well and then that introduces a like okay well if you're a pitcher or another team how are you attacking him where are the holes in his swing you know for a while it was like yeah Bo, if he's going to hit for power is going to sit spin he'll he'll hit sliders and curveballs for power but if you want hit want to turn him into a singles hitter or want to get induced strikeouts you know you can hammer him with fastballs because he's looking for spin and now he's become such a good fastball hitter and then it was like okay well you're going to try to you know stay away with him for heat and inside with the breaking stuff because you know the way his bat path is that's how you limit his power and then okay he adjusted to that and then the strategy lately has been well jam him high and in because he at least can't get around on those I don't know if you guys saw the home run he hit on the weekend Mm, but that was like like I thought he was going to foul that off the (laughs) the heel of the bat at first Mm -hmm. and he was able to take it for a home run there are no holes in his swing or his approach right now I have no idea what the like if you are game planning for today's game and you're Adrian Hauser and the Brewers and you sit down I don't know what the first thing you identify mm-hmm. is. Like you, you fire up a stack ass page and look at his little heat zones and everything. Everything's red. Mm-hmm. He's good everywhere. On top of which, and I know some fans don't agree with this because like the throwing errors stand out so much. He's on pace to only have 12 errors this year, which is half of what he had each of the last two years. And, you know, some of the defensive metrics grade him as like slightly above average at shortstop right now. With that bat, if he's even passable at shortstop, he's so immensely valuable. And if you believe the metrics that he's turned into like 
slightly above average, and, and he certainly cut down on the throwing errors. Like, this guy is going to finish the season top 10 and wins above replacement for position players. I think he'll, like, if the season ended today, he'll be top 10 in MVP voting. Mm-hmm. It's a really remarkable season, and he's still, like, so young that I think he'll probably layer more on top of this. Shohei ends up in the National League. He could win MVP <laughs> maybe this season uh, based on uh, how yeah. good the start has been, oh, although Aaron judges. Yeah, still up there Aaron well. Judge is up there. And then the Shohei thing, obviously the Angels are above 500 right now, but the absolute, like, the blockbuster of blockbuster trades that's in my head right now is uh, if you listen to, like, some of the insiders and Buster Only at ESPN had, like, a kind of a power ranking of Shohei candidates in the summer, right down the highway, the Dodgers are, like, top of the list. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers, by the way, who you want to talk about being able to manage staying good and being win now, mm-hmm. they also have the number one farm system in baseball. Yeah. I thought the Orioles did. Uh, the Orioles have fallen to, if we go by Keith Too Law, many promotions? from the athletic, yeah, no, they're number three. A... But also, like, yeah. Baltimore's AAA team is, like, lapping the league in, like, yeah. a Tampa Bay Rays. Like, yeah, so that's like, maybe like a... where I thought that came from. They but like, they're also like the number three yeah. farm system. Yeah, like yeah. I, I'm sure that if I looked at if we look at a different, I don't know, fire up baseball America instead of Keith Law, the rankings <laughs> are a little different. With that. But either <laughs> either way, yeah, like the Dodgers have been good forever, win now forever, mm-hmm. and still have the best system. They could put so much on the table for Shohei and and they'd still have prospects. Yeah. <laughs> Afterwards. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's that's that's really what it feels like is letting the Blue Jays down is like that conveyor belt of talent coming up. And, and right like, now it seems empty. Think about what a deadline deal. Like, let's say the Jays turn it around and they're in the wild card mix again. And you want to add, you know, a significant piece at the deadline and not just a, another Anthony Bass type. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Certainly not an Anthony Bass type off the field. <laughs> yes, none uh, of that. <laughs> but like a seventh inning reliever type, an Adam Simper type, if you prefer, from the year yes, prior. Yes. I prefer. Um, because I don't think his, at least if his politics are bad, he's not as loud about yeah. it. Let, let's um, quickly talk about replenishment. Um, better chance that Matt Chapman is traded or extended? Uh, I don't think they're going to extend him. Uh, I think he, at this point, would ride it out into free agency. So I'll say traded but they'd have to be like a disaster Mm. to make Mm. that move Uh, but that's another one about replenishment is like I think part of the plan was Matt Chapman is a free agent at the end of the season and your two top hitting prospects Addison Barger and Aurelvis Martinez are both supposed to be or potentially third baseman one might have to end up at second base at some point they're both supposed to be third baseman Aurelvis Martinez is repeating double A because the plate approach has been so bad. Addison Barger's been hurt. Like, mm. if they're looking ahead, like, Matt Chapman's leverage in an in extension talks right now would be through the roof. Yeah. Um, let's get to some Raptors with you because you know that team quite well. Um, Nick Nurse to Philly yesterday. We have this uh, new segment, Tenable or Untenable. Uh, mm. The relationship with uh, Nick Nurse and Joel Embiid obviously has been in the media, and you've seen that, and you've probably felt it up close and personal. Oh, yeah. The tension. Um, I mean, I think it'll be great for the dramatics, great for the timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you think that relationship is going to work in Philly? I think it'll be good initially. Um, I think that what Nick Nurse did with the Kawhi era team, um, what Nick Nurse did in the run it back season. I mean, there's no question. Nick Nurse is a very, very good basketball coach. I think some of what happened at the end here is some of the stylistic or management style and communication stuff can wear a little thin after a couple of years and certainly wear a little thin when every single possession doesn't matter at a championship level, when everything matters at a championship level, 
if guys aren't buying in, you're you're out of the rotation. Get out of here. So I think short term, like if we're looking at like a two three year window, and Philly has to do that because like you have to maximize this Embiid window. We don't know, you know, how is a guy who's had that much injury trouble in the past going to age, and is he going to stay healthy, and you know what does his next contract look like, all that stuff. They need they are more win now than win now can be, and Nick Nurse is a really good fit for that. I don't think Philly cares if two and a half three years from now you know, it's, it's worn thin mm-hmm. and it's not the right fit or whatever. If they get like, they have to do everything they can to win a championship right now. And Nick nurse is the right guy for that. And I'm excited, you know, creatively what he can do with mm-hmm. Embiid at both ends. And, um, you know, if the big one is, uh, if he'll use some of Philly's depth or, or if he's gonna, cause you're not going to play Joel Embiid 40 minutes a game in the, in the regular season. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to coach the Raptors? I guess at this point, my, my favorite name is Chris Quinn, uh, Eric Spolstra's right-hand man. Obviously, you get a dose of that heat culture. One of the things that I, I like is um, Kyle Lowry doesn't like anyone, but if you look at timeouts during these games, he Chris, he's him? always talking to okay. Chris Quinn. That's a bonus. Um, so we'll that's take a, it. He's, he was a, a player not that long ago, so you get that connection level. The other name to watch is Jordy Fernandez, mm, um, who issue, I, yeah. I've gotten to know, a li- not like know personally, but like I've talked to him a couple times mm-hmm. at Summer League. Um, he's a... He's a very Maasai style leader where like big energy, big positivity, drop a lot of swear words in with your positivity. Okay. Um, like open gym will have to have the sensor button ready. <laughs> um, he seems like a fun guy. He he strikes me from, and maybe this is just because I saw him at summer league. He strikes me from afar as a bit more of a, developmental coach mm-hmm. at this stage. But, but the truth is we never know with an assistant coach, right? Like Nick nurse as a head coach was not the exact style we expected when he was an assistant coach, Eric Spolstra is the best coach of this generation. He was a complete unknown right. beforehand. Sometimes we just don't have a, a great sense of how do you change when you're in the big chair. Uh, but those are the two names kind of okay. front of mind for me. Uh, Jay's talk plus 10 to 12. Who you got on the show today to tee it up for Chris everyone. Black's coming on. So uh, at down to black on Twitter, he does those big Jay's stats threads mm-hmm. and video threads. He'll come on with me. Uh, Sam Decker. So son-in-law you of your last guest, <laughs> Kevin Harlan. He's uh, obviously an ex Raptor, but also a huge Brewers guy who knows his baseball really well. Uh, and then we have the Brewers uh, radio play by play. Josh Maurer. Awesome. Uh, looking forward to it. Well, thanks for joining us in studio. You can listen to Blake at 10 to 12 today on Jay's talk plus. Appreciate it, Blake. All right. Um, we got to quickly give away yes, tickets. Let's give away some tickets to Dirks Bentley before we talk to our final guest of the day, Milan Lucic, who is joining us after winning a gold medal in Latvia. Um, well, I guess Finland too. Split split gold medals in terms of location. Um, Dirks Bentley, though, is coming to Bud Stage this Thursday, and we're giving away tickets. This is the last chance you have to win tickets for Thursday's show. The code word is high note to 59590. Text in high note. 59590, that's high space note. I saw some non-spaces, high space note. Get that space in there. Get the space in there. Uh, Today's the last chance to win. So if you don't win with us, make sure you grab your tickets at ticketmaster.ca. That's Thursday's show at Bud Stage. Let's get to break because we got Milan Lucic, world champion, after the break. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was another golden moment for Hockey Canada on the world stage, and we've got one of the members of the latest team to win a championship on international ice. Milan Lucic, well, I won't say former, Team Canada forward, Mm -hmm. member of the Calgary Flames at least last season, gold medalist, of course, for Canada at the IIHF World Hockey Championship and a Stanley Cup champion to boot. Good morning, Milan. Uh, good morning. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing pretty good. We got to ask: How does celebrating a world championship <laughs> compare to celebrating, say, a Stanley Cup? Uh, you know what? It was 
it was a lot of fun. There's obviously, uh, I, don't, I don't, you know, it's hard to compare, uh, especially being a Canadian kid. You know, you grow up dreaming of, uh, you know, when you're playing in your back alley or, or, or with your friends, knee hockey or, or whatnot, you know, you're always, you're always playing to raise the Stanley Cup. But, you know, to, to, to achieve this, you know, to, to do this for, uh, for your country, to win a world championship, uh, you know, it, it was a lot of fun and, and it was a huge honour. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just so glad I got to be a part of it and I, I really, really enjoyed every moment of it. So the World Championship uh, was absolutely a rowdy time. Nonetheless, you got to play um, in Latvia and then in Finland as well. Um, the, the, the crowds are something very special um, at a IHF tournament. I, I got to go to one to cover it, but it was during the bubble. So I didn't get the experience of seeing the fans. It was in Latvia. But I need to ask what it's like being at one of those World Championships with people from all over the world coming to cheer. Um, and they are, they, are, they are quite rowdy and they're quite passionate. What was that like to be on the ice with those crowds? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, uh, it was the first time I got to represent uh, Canada in any type of international tournament. Uh, you know, to see the way uh, the different nations uh, cheer for their for their teams it was was pretty cool. Uh, you know what? For me, it was it was pretty interesting. They don't they don't boo, they whistle. Uh, so you know, they they start they start whistling when they when they boo or they think there needs to be a penalty called. Or, you know, sometimes if we were holding the puck for too long, let's say on the power play or something like that, uh, they would start whistling. But, you know, it was pretty cool, you know, just even walking through Riga, uh, you know, people uh, wearing their, you know, having their scarves with, the, with, their, with their country name on it, wearing their, wearing their jerseys, walking around town and all that type of stuff. It was, it was, it was something really, uh, really cool to experience. Okay, we got to ask what the after party was like because we saw the Latvian, uh, basically all of Latvia, come and celebrate their bronze medal in the streets. Uh, for you guys, I know you probably had a quick flight out of there, but do you got an opportunity to check out the local establishments? Did you guys have a good time after? As much as you can tell us on a nice morning family driving show. <laughs> uh, you know what? We, uh, uh, we actually had a 6 a.m. flight out of Helsinki. I think like 90% of us or almost all of us. So... Uh, it's a two-hour bus ride out of Tempore, and with it being a, yeah, with it being an eight eight twenty p.m. game over there, uh, you know what? We just kind of celebrated quickly in the dressing room, and then we went to the hotel, and they had a they had a nightclub in the hotel that we rented out just us. You know what? Uh, I think they I think we had uh, eighty uh, family members and uh, friends that that flew in, so it was just just us until about. Uh, 2.15 in the morning. So, you know what? We went from partying to, hey, bus in 10 minutes, <laughs> uh, uh, going, to grab our, going to grab our luggage and uh, heading to the Helsinki airport. So it wasn't anything too crazy. It, it was actually pretty nice and intimate. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, all in all, it was, it was a lot of fun. And you're doing media, what, 48 hours with us. <laughs> uh, so good on you, uh, Milan. Um, so it, it is kind of labeled like part vacation, right? But it's it was 10 games in 16 nights. And yeah, you're going to go over there and enjoy a different culture and go to restaurants and, and maybe enjoy some wine. Like there is some vacationing element to it. But when does it turn? Because this was your first experience there. When does it go from, okay, let's go for dinner and have a nice dinner here and spend some time with the family with like, okay, this is a serious hockey game. Uh, let's get ready for it. Well, I mean, even if you want to throw in the exhibition game in Budapest, it, mm -hmm. it was 11 games and I think 18 or 19 nights. So, 
you know what? There, there obviously is a fun element to it, you know, exploring the city, uh, being a tourist, going out for dinners, like you said, like that. Uh, you know, you know, as a group too, um, you know, we spent the first two weeks without any families and any family and friends. So, you know, it was a good bonding time. So we did have an opportunity to go and then have some fun together. But you know what, you know, usually, you know, we're doing video the night before, uh, talking about the game the next day. And then obviously game day is game day, uh, just like it would be in the NHL. And, and you know what, we're all, you know, we're all professionals. We're uh, everyone on the roster played in the NHL, so we know what we had to do to get ourselves ready. So it just felt like we were on one big one-month road trip. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so it, it kind of just went on a routine like that. And once the games came along and the practices came along, it was it was business as usual. So it's funny that you mentioned that everybody was on an NHL roster because I believe at one point you were asked about being underdogs um, overseas. And then Tyler Myers had a, a, a fun, cheeky Instagram post once you won that, you know, worst Team Canada roster ever. I wonder if you heard some of that noise and how that did maybe motivate your team to be like, eh, you know what, we're Team Canada and we'll win this thing. Yeah, you know what? Uh, it was pretty funny. I think it was before the quarterfinals uh, in Finland. One of the reporters asked Tyler Toffoli, uh, you know, how does it feel being on probably the worst, the worst uh, Team Canada roster ever assembled? Wow! And uh, Tyler, yeah, Tyler kind of looked at him and said, "Well, you know, we're all NHLers, so mm-hmm. you know, and we're Team Canada, so you know, we're going to be pretty good." And you know, to be honest. Um, you know, when we showed up to camp in, in Budapest, you know, we, a lot of guys didn't know each other, a uh, very young team. You know, I, I think a lot, I think there was almost more guys on the team that were closer in age with my oldest daughter than they are with me. So, you know, it's, it was, you know, pretty crazy when you, when you think of something like that, that way. But at the end of the day, uh, I think, I think the older guys, uh, we did a good job of, you know, bringing the group together and uh, getting everyone to buy in to the system and the way the coaches wanted us to play. And uh, I think I give the coaches a lot of credit too. They made it fun. Um, you know, they made it fun for us, you know, when, when it was time to be fun. But, uh, you know, you know, they, they had a way and a, and, a, and a system that they wanted us to play. And, you know, what we we, you know, we, we didn't really, we didn't really hear or care about the underdog role much at all until, uh, to was asked that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I, I think we all loved and, and, uh, I think we all love that little tweet that, that Tyler Meyer sent out. That's for, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a pretty good tweet. Uh, we're talking to Stanley Cup champion and world champion, which sounds really, really good, uh, Milan Lucic. Uh, the challenge of being Milan Lucic in Europe at an international tournament uh, is an interesting one, right? Because this is a bigger ice surface. It's not as physical. What sort of adjustment did you have to make to be a productive player for Canada uh, at the world championship? Uh, well, it's funny. At the start, the the wider ice was definitely an adjustment, but uh, I would say after about a week of skating on it, you know, it, it felt normal uh, after that. So, um, you know, and, and also I talked to guys, and and even Zadorov told me before I went over, uh, he he had been he got a five minute major the one time for hitting a guy too hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you know the international rules are, are a little bit different, but for me, I just. You know, I I just wanted to play play my game. Obviously, there's there's not much you know in, in, intimidation and all that type of stuff that goes on 
in an international tournament. But you know, you could still be a you know, you could still be a force a force out there. You could still you know um, make plays and 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 use your body and 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 play a power game and get in and on the forecheck and and all that type of stuff. So you know, those are elements that I I still wanted to to bring and and those are those are things that I did bring in order to to help my team have success. So uh, you know, those. Those are those are things that have that have made me a good player and continue to make me a good player, and, and that's what I wanted to do to help the team win a gold medal. You set up uh, one of the highlight real goals of the series, Adam Fantilli, um, who obviously is is a young stud and has a lot of hype around him. I think we're actually going to chat with him tomorrow. So if you have any tidbits, you can tell us. But what was it like playing sure. with uh, with him and just the, the amount of talent that he has? And, and he's had a pretty incredible year, winning a couple gold medals and a couple trophies himself. So just the kid, Adam Fantilli, and what it was like to play with him. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Like I said, you know, he's, uh, you know, it was pretty crazy to, to, to be line mates with a, with a kid that's born in 2005. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, and you know what, he's got an exciting couple of weeks coming up with the NHL draft, uh, just around the corner. But, uh, you know, I, I had never played with, uh, with a kid with that type of talent, uh, you know, at that young age before, uh, obviously you could see his skill sets. The way he shoots, the way he passes, the way he skates, uh, the way he thinks the game. So you can see why he's he's um, expected to be a you know a top two, top three pick. Uh, so yeah, it was it was it was pretty fun to be around, and uh, you know, like you said, a pretty pretty crazy year for him. You know, like you said, World Juniors, World Championships. Uh, I, I think he made it to the national uh, national finals, uh, losing to Quinnipiac. But uh, you know, and and the draft just around the corner was uh, was a lot of fun meeting his parents too. Uh, so so yeah, it's it, you know everyone was everyone was a treat to be around. The whole team got along, and you know what, I wish him nothing but the best uh, in the upcoming draft and his and his future moving forward. A big year for Fantilli, big summer for Lucic. Uh, you're reaching unrestricted free agency for just the second time in your career. What are the priorities for you as you look to make your next move in the NHL? I think just, you know, uh, what'll be the best fit. And, um, you know, one of the reasons why I, I went to the world championships was, you know, cause I, you know, I, I wanted to just have fun, just have fun playing hockey again and have fun being around winning again. And, and, you know, that's, that's something that I obviously love to do, you know, moving forward. And, uh, for me, just, you know, just, having the uh seeing where I'll have the best opportunity to play, uh the best opportunity to succeed. You know, those are the main things that I'll you know you know, that I'll look for and, and what my next choice will be into um into free agency. So yeah, you know, right now I'm just enjoying the the win of uh winning the world championships, but in the next week here I'll probably start, you know, thinking about options and, and where I'd like to go and and uh myself uh, here in the near future hey this was fun milan uh good luck with the decision this summer and as a hockey canada fan thanks for helping yeah. bring a, another uh, gold medal uh <laughs> home it was a pleasure watching you guys uh on the ice and uh yeah shout out to tyler myers for the tweet <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me guys have a great day that's milan lucic stanley cup champion world championship world champion excuse me and an unrestricted free agent this summer want to see him in blue and white 
I'd like to see him wherever makes him happy. I like that he said that. Very diplomatic. Wanted answer, to go Bruce. and uh, play somewhere in, in the World Championship, as I got to see the one time I was there, is a lot of fun. You mentioned it's like kind of vacation. Riga's the hot spot now. Riga there. is fire. I love it. I want to go back and actually enjoy it and not be in a bubble. But uh, you saw a hundred thousand Latvian fans flooded the streets yesterday when the uh, bronze medalists were arriving. Unreal. Unreal. Uh, congrats to them. Uh, let's do a baby wake and rake to wrap up our Tuesday. Wake up! Now it's time for wake and rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. We forgot to ask uh, Milan where Doug Armstrong was. Where in the world is Doug Armstrong? I don't know if he would have... Uh... Divulged? I don't want to make Milan and Lucic angry. Neither do I. <laughs> Oh, he's a lovely gentleman, though. Um, just an absolute class act, as uh, Jeff Merrick said earlier in the show. Um, okay, but we don't know where Doug Armstrong is, and we will keep tabs. Uh, we will try to find him. Uh, Jays and Brewers kick off a three-game homestand tonight at the Rogers Center. Kikuchi on the mound, um, looking to kind of end this May on a high note. It is Looney Dogs Tuesday, folks. As you should all know, waking up this morning, having maybe a liquid breakfast, okay? Not not in a bad way. <laughs> like not a liquid, you know what I mean? Like light, light brekkie. Okay. A little yogurt like a parfait. Like yes, a shake. a shake. Like Smoothie. We're not having uh, pancakes, waffles. You're not at a nightclub in Latvia. Yeah, just a light brekkie, everyone, this morning, if you're going to go indulge in some loony dogs. Um, all right. Jay's our favorites tonight um, at home against the Brewers with Kikuchi on the mound, minus 157. Over under set at nine and a half. Mm-hmm. This tends to maybe be a high scoring game. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll kickstart things then because uh, you know Looney Dog nights are overnights, so uh, I'm not going to take the full game over. I'm going to mm. take the over on the Looney Dog count, and I'm going to take the over in the first five innings with two pitchers that uh, you know might be slightly susceptible. Maybe this is a bit of a play against Yusei Kikuchi. Maybe this is just a play on entertainment. But I like the <laughs> first five over five at about even money. Uh, whatever your book is, uh, you can plug that in unless it gets it got juiced to the high heavens. But yeah, I think there's going to be some runs early and often in this game. And I think you say, <clears throat> excuse oh, me, emotional. I, I am a little emotional about you say Kikuchi. And I've fully lost my voice here, so I'll get through <laughs> okay. it. Over five. Blue Jays. <laughs> okay. Brewers. I'm seeing that at minus 103, so uh, not juiced at all. Um, I like that a lot. I'm going to go with a Blue Jay, uh, uh, sorry, a baseball pick uh, as well. A little bold, um, but I'm liking it. The Tampa Bay Rays three-inning, three-way money line, which means that they will be leading by the end of the third inning, not a tie. So a three-way th- third inning line. Um, that's against the Chicago Cubs. Why? Because Shane McClanahan's on the mound. Um, we He's 8-0, first pitcher 8-0. He's got a under-2 ERA. And they're going up against Kyle Hendricks, who, although he went to Dartmouth and is one of our beloved Ooh, big greens, I have to fade. I just a fade. Was there overlap? Were you there at the same time? No, he's a little bit older than me. Um, uh, I don't know. But anyway, go big green, but I, I just, I gotta, I, unfortunately, I have to do it. Um, please don't revoke my alumni status. Um, so we're going to go three-way, third, three-inning line for the race. I know that's a, that's a mouthful. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, just get through the first, uh, get through the lineup once, clean Shane McClanahan, and then we're, we should be good if the Rays can get uh, a run in those first three innings. Just a note on, if you want to profit off the profit, Blake Murphy. Yes. I know we got to go here, but just very quickly. <laughs> uh, he outlined Jordy Fernandez and Chris Quinn mm. as potential Raptors coaches. I'm seeing it on a book. I think you can find it. 
plus 550 Jordy, oh. plus 1,000 Chris Quinn. Just throwing it out there. Put that in. Um, okay. I like the little Futures slash Blake Murphy, Jays Talk Plus. Okay. Uh, here's a couple anchor picks, and we'll pick one. Ron and Jules are going bang, two for two last night. Let's keep it rolling. Blue Jays on the run line and Bo Bichette over bases. I think we might have to pick one of theirs soon. Uh, good morning. Tough return to tennis yesterday with right, Struff losing a close five-setter. Today, Neil's going with a bigger, big underdog, but a big game spread of nine and a half plus nine and a half for Michael Moe versus Taylor Fritz. Nine and a half, big number for Moe or for Fritz to try and cover. I think that's Moe. I'm hoping it's Mo plus nine and a half. MMOH, I'd go with Mo as well. Uh, good morning, Alish and Justin. Picking Kikuchi over five and a half strikeouts. Not giving up on Yusei. That's Courier, Chris, and also Will is in agreement with Yusei over strikeouts. We got one how, more. How could you give up on him? Brandon from Whitby. Brandon? Brandon from Whitby. Texas Rangers minus one and a half. The Tigers suck. Yes, they do. <laughs> and yeah, the Texas Rangers are low-key one of the best teams in the American League. Okay, so we could do a same-game parlay with uh, Jays, Bichette, um, or we could go, I mean, I feel bad because I want to pick Ron and Jules at one point. They're they're crushing their picks here. Let's go with Ron and Jules, Blue Jays run line. Okay, Blue Jays run line, um, that's plus money. You parlay that with the over five and a half first five inning line. Plus, Hopefully we can do that. Plus then um, Blue Jays, sorry, Tampa Bay Rays to be leading after three innings. That's the three-way money line. When you parlay that together, you will have... Plus 850. That's a spicy one today. That is a good one. By the way, me trying to do this while you're away, I give you all the credit in the world it's for tough. getting plus 850 there. That's it's tough to do. it's tough to do on the fly, <laughs> but you do it every day. So there you go. I'm a pro. Um, all right, following off day Monday, Blue Jays back in action tonight, hosting the Milwaukee Brewers, 7 p.m. on Sportsnet, Sportsnet now, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and streaming on Sportsnet.ca slash 590 and on the Sportsnet app. Hauser and Kikuchi kick it off for a three-game series. We'll be back on Wednesday to break it all down. Have a great day, everyone.